0: with uh, no further ado, please welcome Stephen. <laughs> so, um, skylight. so yeah, so we thought it would be a good idea uh, for the reading, uh, the, before we got into the actual reading of the text, um, because Kiko Rope and Demon Six are here, and we're going to do a demonstration of Japanese uh, rope bondage, no shibari, and these are two of the greatest uh, Japanese rope experts. Probably the two best in Los Angeles. I can say that, you know. And so we're going to do a little demonstration of Japanese rope bondage. Not that it has any relation to the book at all, but it's so cool. (laughs) (laughs) And also, like, readings are so boring sometimes, you know. So this just seems like a cooler thing to do. So we're going to do that for ten minutes first. And then I'm going to bring Kyle Kinney up here. We're going to do a reading of some other stuff. And then we'll get to the book reading. So, but first, Kiko uh, Rope and Demon Six.
1: <laughs> so I'm uh, Demon Six of the Devil's Mass Society here in Los Angeles. Uh, we are kind of an underground movement here in L.A., um, obviously, um, and you can see how Japanese I am, um, uh, Kikuro has been doing this for about 20 years and has been doing it in Japan, um, and surprisingly LA is, uh, one of the megas for this, um, and it's just another, uh, ode to our diversity here that we have a flourishing group doing this, um. So what Kikoroku is going to demonstrate is actually something that goes back a long way in Japan. Um, it is the way they think about this. Uh, they've been doing this. If you can find images of this going back hundreds of years. Um, and it's not really something they did for martial arts. It's nothing connected to the samurai. It's just something that they thought, yeah, that's what bondage just does. Um, So it's also very unique because Japan has had an open discussion about this since the 1950s. And uh, they've been continually talking about this and doing this. And we'll let her talk a little bit and I'll explain more as we go along. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm it's,
1: it's cotton. cotton. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not here. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, until the recent past 20 years, the uh, professors in Japan, you deal with some uh, natural fiber rope called uh, jute, which is a brownish in color. If you, if you ever do see pictures of this on the internet, That's probably what you'll see. If you see something in this type of rope, it's done a lot earlier in life, Uh, probably sometime around 1970s, 1950s. Um, Interesting thing about ties like this, Um, they are from the imaginations of artists. Um, When they imagined people in situations that were probably not to our consent that we have in the modern age. Um, this is what they imagine. And from those images, they didn't really think about, like, this is a technique or a design. Um, it just invoked an idea of this is what that experience looked like. <clears throat>
0: keeping with our relationship. Except so my Kiko, I've always been all the <laughs> time you to time me out. I have the opportunity. <laughs> uh,
1: I have an idea.
0: I want to add a book
1: for It's <laughs> 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 a good color on you. mm <laughs> <laughs> parts. Kika's time is the modern look of what they do in Japan now. Um, There are older designs that aren't quite as ornate; They're a little simple. But uh, this is what, if you were running around Tokyo or Osaka or some other places in Japan, this is what you would see. You can also field any questions if someone has a question. How is Japanese bondage different than American? Or how do they compare? Only in how they think about it. Um, We have artists that were here in America who did interesting stuff. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen the recent Professor Marks and the Women movie on the Wonder Woman movie, they had a little demonstration of what American stuff looks like. Um, we're a little more functional in the West. We tend to think about, let's just get down to it. Whereas they're a little more about being there. A little more about the experience of it. A lot of times also, the the there are artists who get thousands of dollars in Japan to do work who actually don't do the modern stuff like this, they try to evoke an older idea. So there's a little more romanticism, maybe. Maybe. I don't know if that would be ex- entirely accurate. <coughs> so, so? Can, you, uh, can you explain what the difference is between modern and a sort of older um, style in this particular style? Danger level. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it isn't until the past... 10 years ago, 20, 2000, 2005, that they started thinking about safety. Um, they did think about safety in some ways, but like, what does anatomy mean? What is? How do we keep someone from getting hurt while in this? It isn't until the past 10, 15 years. Um, the older stuff is, in some arguments, much more beautiful because they were trying to get an emotion out of the person. <laughs> Um, and a lot of photographers who, who took photography in that time said, oh, well, that's much more beautiful. Yeah, yeah but moms are getting hurt. <laughs> 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 What? Uh, restricting, how were they, hmm? they getting hurt? How were they getting hurt? Uh, nerves, primarily. Mm-hmm. Nerves, things of that nature. You'd get hand drop. you'd get uh, issues. Um, not to say that anyone here if they wanted to try something like this they couldn't do it but at the level that's professional like it looks similar to this that's when you start getting into the more dangerous stuff kiko rope is actually a professional in japan when she's at, back in japan okay so
0: this is the tie.
1: I thought we were leaving you to talk like this. I <laughs> That's what I signed up for. Uh, right. no, <laughs> Probably not the best idea. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Could we see the back before you are tired?
1: Good question.
2: Before you do that, what, what, what do you experience when
0: you go through this? Well, I think for me, I think that, I think that the big difference between Western bondage and the Japanese bondage that I've noticed is in Western bondage, it's like get the person tied up so that and so they can move, so you can do whatever is you're going to do to them. Whereas in the Japanese bondage, the process of being tied up is extremely erotic and it can go on for a really long time, and that is and the whole point. So it's not, it's not just to get somewhere else. The bondage itself, you know, you might spend an hour or two hours with your partner just going through the various bondage positions. You know, so it's just the whole, the whole experience. And it's so, Shigari is so thought out, there's so much. I'm going to say it takes seven years to actually get to the point where you can start creating, where you're good enough to start creating. <laughs> I, I think of it as an
2: art also, like that's, that's how I got into it also, so when I saw somebody tied up, I
0: I, I said oh my god, I want to learn how to do this, but I never thought of it as
1: a sexual thing in the beginning. It's also not above ground there either Doug. There. <laughs> the first time I think uh, can we tell this story, Kikorot? The first time that uh, someone in Japan saw your picture in a magazine, how did you respond? Uh, I wanted to hide. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's, it's very meditative. You know? it's, like not, it's like the experience being had up is incredibly relaxing. You know, it's, not, it's not like we think Western, we think of anything sexual, it's all kind of focused on like the orgasm. Whereas, like, that's not really... It's intensely like erotic, but it's not. But the point is not to get off. You know, it's a whole sell. <coughs> but there's, there's very few people in LA that like really know how to do it, you know, so it's really special. These guys. When I was in Japan, one of those friends actually tied me up a ton of I posted a picture on Facebook, this, this big bald dude. Oh, and Otanawa. I was like... Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I was
1: like, gay for rope? Question mark? <laughs> 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 yeah, his name in Japanese means the sound of rope. How was that experience for you
0: having a man? What was interesting he tied so well. And it's like, it was like, you know, very meditative really enjoyable. You know, i like, oh yeah, I hadn't really been tied up that well, that completely like a guy before you know, full suspension, can You know, we uh, like you know. should have caught me by a suspension with here today, but that's
1: a you little know, suspension <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's a lot. I was tied up
2: <laughs>
0: um, so the Nervous Breakdown uh, is a literary website and they have a thing called the self-interview where when an author has a book coming out they ask the author to interview themselves uh, it might sound like lazy and exploitative maybe um, easier than paying journalists. but at any rate um, no I mean the Nervous Breakdown is such a great literary site. And I did one seven years ago when the Adderall Diaries came out. And they asked me to do another one for Sometimes I Think About It. And so I just wrote this, uh, I guess yesterday actually. And uh, so we decided we'd do a a stage reading of my self-interview. So here to play me, interviewing myself, the comedian Kyle Kinane.
2: I'll project. project. I'm a performer.
0: <laughs> so just keep in mind, I know that you've all seen him on Comedy Central and all these places, yeah. but he's playing me. So this is me interviewing me. That's the whole conceit.
2: I'm wondering what you think about me that I'm also part of you. Like what psychological element? I'm the most suburban, milk-toast dipshit you can get. I know. Well, here we go. <laughs> <clears throat> Shall we? Let's do this. Let's get the most obvious question out of the way. You've been telling people you discovered Kyle Kinane. I don't know. If Christopher Columbus discover America? It's not like people weren't already here. Well, last time I interviewed you, you were in the midst of a nasty breakup. You were nervous, constantly looking over your shoulder, scouting for an exit. I thought, this guy's either crackhead or he's being hunted.
0: When we first met, I was struck by how little of an impression you made on me. You <laughs> left, and I immediately remembered nothing about you.
2: Well, I heard about your proclivities, and I was, I was ready for a little weirdness, but nothing prepared me for the reality of the situation. We were only together for a half an hour, but it seemed like days, and the entire time I felt like we were on the precipice of some great violence. I mean, it was innocent enough at in the beginning. You were wearing a white dress made of an unusual fabric, plastic, latex... with the flow and flexibility of cotton, I remember thinking, I would like a dress like that, but I'd be embarrassed to wear it. Your face was all scratched from an accident, or at least that's what you said. He said you'd been on a bus and there was a crash somewhere in downstate Illinois. You insisted on the term downstate. You mentioned a deer tractor and a forklift and a staple gun.
1: You also mentioned
2: corn people. And I thought, hey, I'm the interviewer. It's not my job to fact check this motherfucker, so I let it slide. I mean, I just got out of rehab myself, and I didn't want any trouble. It may sound stupid, but I was happy to have the job. I don't care about your
1: problems.
0: (laughs) You think you're not responsible because you're an addict. Because many people you've passed traveling your uneven highway have decided against loving you. To me, you're just like any other narcissist, working for some international literary conglomerate, thinking that every interview you're assigned is secretly about you.
2: You can just cash your paycheck and go
0: home to your wife, who doesn't even like you, and your 2.4 kids, and pray that nobody ever does decide to pay attention to your petty bullshit because you would burn like a dry leaf under a magnifying glass.
2: You have a new essay collection.
1: Yep. Alright.
2: The thing was, nobody seemed to care that you had lied, but everybody was very upset that I printed your untruths. The Paris Review called me the prince of dubious assumptions, and the L.A. Review of Books called me, referred to me as a marginalized and debased former poet. What the hell is a former poet? I'm not taking the bait. (laughs) I'm
0: not turning this into an interview about you and your interesting problems. First of all, the last time anybody read anything in the Paris Review was never. (laughs) Second... You sit in the room with a killer, and you talk to that person like he's your equal, like his sins have been forgiven by a God you don't even believe in. Then you say, this isn't about guns. And you vote your faith. And you get the republic you deserve. If anything, I'd say this crime has been waiting for you your entire life. Because I sat and did nothing. Because you ate at the table with murderers and sat passively while crimes were committed in your name because you don't actually believe in free speech, because you made offensive jokes when you were a child, and also when you, went to, uh, when you were no longer a child attending a state university, because you lied to people when you claimed to love them, and you lied to yourself when you claimed to be capable of love. And here we are. Do you remember the date when you interviewed me last time?
2: February 5, 2010.
0: And today is November 6, 2017. Yet nothing has changed in your life. Even those tears are no different from the tears you shed before, equal parts salt, water, and self-pity. But I've changed. Because the last time you interviewed me for TNB, it was just a tiny website with a small but dedicated following, and I didn't care about you. Now, TNB is the literary equivalent of Google, a diverse starburst erupting with genius and powered by a thousand lights of great literature, past and future. And yet, instead of not caring about you, I actively dislike you, and that's how I know I'm not who I once was, and I am capable of change.
2: So this is a (laughs) self-interview. I thought it would maybe be interesting if we touched on the 14th essay, the one you didn't include, and sometimes I think about it. I didn't include it for a reason. It was called Moon. It was about subdividing your Manhattan apartment with office particle board into seven twin-sized compartments, each with an air mattress, which you then rented to budget travelers on Airbnb. (laughs) the last line really stuck with me. He wrote, Anybody who says money can't buy happiness has never been in love with a whore. (laughs) Uh, I stand by that statement. (laughs) Last question. Are you guilty of all the crimes you've been accused of? No.
0: I read an essay the other day encouraging encouraging Johns to be healthy and work on themselves emotionally and I thought, how does one do that? Is there a gym for emotional health that isn't secretly a cult? (laughs) The answer unfortunately is no, they're all cults. When a mob forms you have to decide to join the mob or watch your house burn. Ultimately there is no trajectory in life and it's also not a circle. Nothing except a river flows inevitably toward destination. The rest is hopscotch. Randomly forward and back. Life is a game of chance. And the miracle of it all is that we survived this long and arrived wherever we are. Essentially, we're all just lucky. This would be a good time to smell the roses before whatever tragedy next befalls us.
2: You give new meaning to the term self-hating Jew.
0: <laughs>
2: Lose my number.
0: Out and the name? self-interview? What Is it like, is it self-interview or is it like an interview with who you want to be? Like, how can you as like my ideal self? <laughs> what in the world? Oh, Brad Listy is here. Brad Listy founded the Nervous Breakdown. We've been pimping your website for the last 20 minutes. <laughs> All right, so then, um, so I guess we'll get into the reading part. <laughs> um, I'm just gonna read. Uh, I'm gonna read from like funny one of the funnier essays in the book because it's just so much fucked up shit going on right now, and so much of the book is actually pretty dark, and I don't feel like being dark today. Um, this is this is from an essay called "My Little Brother Ruined My Life," um, and what I think I'll do is I'll just maybe. I yes, it's probably too long to read the whole thing. And so I'll just start reading. And I'll stop at what seems a reasonable point, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) And then if there's any questions, we can do a little Q&A. You know? And uh, yeah. So my little brother ruined my life. Oh, you know what? Glasses. Yeah. I like glasses, though, because they make they look smart. But the, the thing about glasses, though, also when I'm at like a cafe and I'm reading something, I think they're like sunglasses. Like, I think people can't see my eyes. So <laughs> at like, I'm curious, why are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> are you a masochist? It's the first thing Bosco asks me. He's 14 years old now, almost my height, 5'8, creamy white skin, and a small German nose from my stepmother's side of the family. He's wearing pajama bottoms and my father's green bomber jacket. We're in a cab returning from the airport. He's here to stay with me for 10 days, and I'm realizing I've made a terrible mistake. Why would you think that, I ask? I just flew into San Francisco two hours earlier myself. I haven't been home in weeks. Dad says you're a masochist. You read it somewhere. I'm a fiction writer, I say. It's fiction. Sure it is, he says. We go to a party for people from the university. Bosco grabs two beers from the fridge and hands me one. He's a little young to be drinking, isn't he, Claire asks. Claire's a poet from Georgia. The is is filled with poets and short story writers. Jackets are piled on a bed in the bedroom, and people are lying in them or on the floor, telling stories while losing their virginity. Everybody has an MFA, so every story has a small, inappropriate observation.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: he put his hand between my legs at the movie theater. I was wearing my mother's skirt. I was 15 she was 19. It was the day after my best friend committed suicide. My brother hangs on the front steps with Cowie's boyfriend, Andy, and Andy tells him not to do hair on Everything else is okay, Andy says. That guy was cool, Bosco says. <laughs> I don't know my little brother as well as I should. We've only met a handful of times. I left home before I was his age. My father and I never really met in our relationship. He remarried, made money, moved to the suburbs, had my little brother and sister with his new wife. I wrote a book about growing up in group homes and the violence there. My father thinks I've exaggerated my victimhood at his expense. We get along for months at a time, and I'll get some notes explaining how he wasn't that bad of a father. Oh, by the way, there's also an interview with my father in this book that's very interesting. Put at that there. In you his own no words, um, uh, he'll say how he didn't shave my head, he gave me haircuts. And I'll remember waking my father's fist and being dragged along the floor into the kitchen my father likes to joke that he only handcuffed me to a pipe that one time, and look how many stories I've gotten out of it. <laughs> a character. He thinks he should have been a worse father because it would have helped my writing. Sometimes I tell my father, it's best we don't talk for a while. So I was surprised when he suggested Bosco come out and stay with me. I was more surprised when after saying yes, I found out the ticket was ten days away. What I actually keep telling myself is that Bosco was a kid. And being a kid is hard. I'm not jealous of these growing up with two parents in a big house in the suburbs. I want to be a good brother. But the truth is, I don't have the skills. I borrowed a sleeping bag for him. My studio is so small, he sleeps on the wooden floor, his feet inches from my head. His feet smell, and I'm going to have to tell him about that. <laughs> Stop walking into me, I say. We're on 16th Street in Bosto. Boston keeps brushing against me, and I keep moving further away until I'm against the buildings. I'm not. You're walking into me. From now on, I'm going to call you Underfoot, I say. You see these lines on the sidewalk? Stay on your side of the line. You stay on your side of the line. The streets are crowded, and the fruit vendors are out, so it's hard for either of us to stick to our grids. We pass the Victoria Theatre, where headway and the Andrew Inch in this final week. It's like my feet are magnets and you have a metal head. We try, we try. We watch a basketball game at my friend's house, and I lose $50. What were you thinking, Bosco asked. Syracuse is so much better. You're 14 years old. You don't know anything about college basketball. Well, neither do you, apparently. <laughs> we head to the order room. My ex-girlfriend is eating drinks with her friends. I worry that my brother will think I drink too much. Then I worry that maybe I drink too much.
2: <laughs> Teresa
0: is wearing blue jeans and a torn black shirt. It's always tough to see an ex-girlfriend and realize she's getting better looking. <laughs> Teresa has been at protests all day in Oakland. They fired rubber bullets at us, she said proudly. It was amazing. Your room has round cement tables that are four feet high. And people sit around them on tall stools. Bosco is off talking to someone. I say to Teresa, "This is awful. It's like coming face to face with a part of yourself you have no interest in knowing." <laughs> You'll do fine, she says. No, I tell her, I don't like children. Also, my apartment is too small, and I've been sick recently. I have this ringing in my ears. Don't think about yourself, Teresa says. Think about your brother. What do I have to think about him? I ask. He has everything. Can we stay with you? No, I'm getting out of my life. It's almost one in the morning, we're walking home. Why'd you break up with her, Bosco asks. She's the whole package. (laughs) He sounds like my father. My father always spoke of women as if they were frozen meat. (laughs) Yeah, she's great, I say, and I think of how if I hadn't broken up with her, we'd be at her place now. Bosco would be in the extra bedroom, and I'd be on the inside of the spoon. You'll never get a girlfriend like that again, he says. Asshole. (laughs) he's a cop now (laughs) a child sleeps on my floor the morning is full of rain I wash my hands as I type I have scars up and down my wrist from all my suicide attempts my brother writes to say that my 14 year old cousin went to one concert and became a doper and now my uncle is going to throw him out this is why I hate email I tell my father that I was doing dope long before my first concert and that maybe my uncle should be a little more thoughtful in assigning blame My father tells me my uncle has a family to think about. This is my father's favorite notion, the idea that family must abandon one of its own for the good of the whole. That's why he moved while I was living on the streets, he says, because I was a drug addict, and he has to think of the family, which is why when the police found me after a year uh, of homelessness and asked where my parents were, I answered that I didn't know. Honestly, I didn't, but my family was just two people then, my father and my sister, so I've always been skeptical of that argument. I've always been skeptical of parents who abandon children for the good of the family. I introduced Bosco to Amber, a 16-year-old girl from the writing program where I volunteer as a tutor. We go to a movie that isn't very good and then desert an overpriced coffee shop. So how long are you here for, Amber asked Bosco. Until next Sunday. Wow, I'll wait more. Amber is young and pretty. She's she's an A student, the editor of the school newspaper. She can make Bosco into a better person. Young boys are so easy to manipulate. They think of only one thing. Someday, when he's older, Bosco will also think of his place in the world, and how people don't appreciate him enough. He'll worry about how hard it is to make a living. He'll feel jealousy and anger when he's passed over for a promotion, and then self-loathing for his own small-mindedness. Amber takes Bosco back to her home in the hate. I take the opportunity to get some work done, push her things into the back of the studio and do the dishes. When he comes home, we both have one of those Smirnoff ice drinks I have in the fridge. What do you guys talk about, I ask? Drugs, mostly. Yeah? Yeah, she likes to do mushrooms. Oh yeah, mushrooms are good. When I was your age I loved acid. My friend does acid, he says. Acid is bad for you, I tell him. <laughs>
1: Though
0: I know I'm too late. <laughs> I can tell he's gonna be a horrible drug addict, and imagine the next time you do this he'll steal my laptop and sell it for crack. She said it was weird, he said. He's leaning against the wall at the building, at the window. I live on a busy street. My little brother has something more to say. He has that kid smile. He thinks he's so cool. I raised my eyebrow. I shook her hand but she wanted a hug, he says. I might have been able to score, but I didn't try. <laughs> my brother and I have card-playing ancestry. Our grandfather played cards every day of his adult life. He was an absentee father. He worked during the day and played cards at night. My uncle said he nearly gambled away their house. Because I'm the best eager player at the university, people are always trying to take me down a, pe- a peg. I get paired up with my brother. That's a spade, I say, pointing to the jack of clubs. No, it isn't. He's on his third beer. He's sucking them down like water. Perhaps he'll be an alcoholic before he turns 18. Everybody's half drunk and they holler at Bosco to bring them drinks. He becomes a beer boy. It's a fucking spade. Why are, you wearing, why are you swearing to your brother? When spades are Trump, the jack of the same color becomes the second highest Trump. You should have told me, he says. He turns everything back that way. I did tell you. No, you didn't. Why don't you admit you're wrong, I say. Why don't you take responsibility for your actions? Why don't you admit you're wrong, he replies. Your grandfather would turn over in his grave if he saw you playing cards that way. <laughs> After one more beer apiece, Bosco and I stumble home arm in arm. The, restu- the restaurants are closed and the world is asleep. That's nothing, Bosco says, peeing on the wall of the live- work loft building. Me and my friend Jimmy drank a whole bottle of whiskey. I don't get hungover. That's one more thing you can look forward to, I tell him. <laughs> He'll be leaving in a few days and we haven't done anything. We haven't seen either bridge, Golden Gate Park, the ocean, or the bay. We haven't, seen the- we haven't been to any museums. Raven Height lands and they gone rock climbing. When people ask him what he did in San Francisco, Bosco will say he got drunk. But the thing is, I don't have a television. I don't have a Playstation. I don't have internet. There's absolutely nothing to do in my apartment except read, write, and get drunk. There's a message on the machine from my father. I just want to check in on my boys and make sure you're having a good time. Anyway, there are only a few days left and I'm counting them off. Walking up Polk Street, I offered to pay for Bosco to go to bed with a transvestite prostitute. <laughs> Shut up, he says. You won't notice the difference, I tell him. <laughs> You're sick. I'm going to tell him you did it anyway, I said. I'm
2: <laughs>
0: believe believing that I'm older than you. It's late on Thursday night. There's a party at the tutoring center with we'll raffles and piñatas. Friends of mine are drinking at the bar, but they won't let Bosco in. Bosco says I should go with Adam. He'll wander the mission district. I tell him I don't think it's a good idea. We stop to see Teresa at a reading in a used bookstore. I'm leaving him with you. I'm going out. Like hell you are, she says. She's wearing a charcoal gray skirt. Her legs are tight and tanned. Swimmer's legs. I slip my foot under her foot, which dangles off the armrest of a comfy chair. She moves it away. There's a blonde boy with her, smiling awkwardly. Let's all go back to your place, I say. I'll buy. You'll buy what? Anything? I don't care. <laughs> no, I'm doing things, she says. What kind of things? This is Sherman. Hello, Sherman. They go to the Pakistani restaurant near Guerrero. where we split rice and naan in an order of chicken tikka masala. I take back what I said about her, Bosco says. She's not that nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop there. Uh-uh. So, I don't know. Any questions about anything? I know How old is your brother now? He's 30. Oh. And he's like the youngest homicide detective in Chicago. Wow. And he works in the area. You hear about. You no, know, it's outside. But he's so cool. He's so good. He has this thing like, he's not like me at all. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he's like full of love. He's always trying to bring everybody together. He never has anything mean to say about anybody. You know, and and you know he's a little on the conservative spectrum a little bit. But you know my friends are so liberal. And he's way more open-minded than any of them, you know? And I was talking to him about, like, Black Lives Matter and stuff, and, like, he was just, you know, he's a cop, but he was, like, open. You know, he was actively thinking about these things, and he's he's just, I don't know, he's the best. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He married his high school sweetheart. Aww. Like, he just, like, met his girl, and, like, we are going to have a bunch of kids, build a house in Bridgeport. I don't know where he gets it. There's <laughs> <laughs> really, really something. Zach? So, like, do you sit, like? you have written things that are in
2: very different styles? Like, do you sit down consciously and go like, this one's going to be like this, and then write in that vein, and this one's going to
0: be like that, or do you start writing about a subject and then you feel your way into like, whether it's going to be like more of a funny conversation or whether it's going to be like yeah, yeah, more the latter. Like when I start writing, I don't know what it is. I would know, like no, I don't even know if I'm writing fiction or nonfiction. Usually, I don't do you know. Recently, I did a script off an outline of my friend, who my friend Gwen's help with Gwen. There she is. Gwen's my philosopher? I bring her with me everywhere. She teaches existential philosophy, so she keeps me existential. <laughs> <laughs> um, she keeps me. Makes sure I'm always questioning the meaning of things. But, uh, but other than that, I've always, always just I sit down and I write, and it's usually nothing, you know. And then sometimes it's funny, but it, it's it's really it's like acting, you know. Zach, by the way, knows this because he wrote. An incredible, well, you wrote an incredible book. You I mean, your memoir. You know, we did porn, which I'm sure they have here next door, is one of my favorites. So, but you know, it's like you, you, especially in fiction, but even in essays, you know, you're like, you're occupying a character. You know, it's, it's. Actually, I, I, I learned this when I was editing this collection, uh, politically inspired, which was all. Political fiction or fiction about political events and, and times. And I was trying to get conservative writers as well as liberal writers. Everybody I knew was liberal. And it turned out that there were no uh, conservative writers writing literary fiction, actually. Which sounds weird, but I mean, literally, there were none. And then people are saying, What about this one guy? And they're all naming the same guy. It just <laughs> proves how incredibly rare it is. And I, and I was for a long time like, Why is that? And you realize it's because like conservatives you know, they don't have empathy. That's what makes them conservative.
2: <laughs> but I, don't, I don't
0: say that. It's like, you know, it's the difference between sympathy and empathy. You know, the ability to, like, actually imagine yourself in somebody else's shoes as opposed to I actually charity for you because you're, you know, in a bad state, but to actually put yourself in their shoes and an act of empathy. Uh, and that's, you can't write without that. And so, like, the, the when you're writing, you're really getting into a headspace of, the person you're writing about, you're like you're really inhabiting that, so it's very similar to acting, I think, actually. You know, which would explain why so many actors are liberal. Um, when you write, like even nonfiction or essays and whatever, um, does that make what you're writing about more real to you, or does it create that kind of like when you talk about inhabiting a character, does it fictionalize your experience? No, it's actually it's yes, the opposite. It's like I, I literally figure out how I feel about something by writing about it. Like oftentimes I have no idea. You know, like when I did the they did the movie adaptation of the Adderall Diaries, and I, I was like I mean I didn't think it was a very good movie, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't very it had almost nothing to do with the book, and it's my memoir, and it made me look kind of bad, but I didn't really <laughs> but I didn't really cognize. I was like oh you know okay, whatever you know. And then within two weeks, I've written an entire script about that movie and an article. And like I was writing so much about it, I was like, oh, I really was impacted. I guess I really felt something. It really meant actually meant something to me. And I had no idea until it just started pouring out of me my writing. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known. Actually, a lot of times I'll start writing about something, and I'll think I know already what what my ideas are on the subject. But once I start writing on it, I write it, and it's, it reads false. And I'm like, oh, I think that's how I feel, but that's not how I feel. Because I felt that way. I wouldn't, it wouldn't sound like bullshit when I read it. <laughs> you know? so you tell when you're lying to yourself, when you read it back to yourself on a page. Which is, you know, good and bad.
1: Because <laughs>
0: actually, I, I have a, a character in a novel that I've been working on explaining, he's an artist, and around his mid-40s, he realized he was not capable of love. Because he was always excavating himself and looking like, at deep hard looks at himself to create his art. And, but once he knew he wasn't capable of love, he could no longer try to be in a relationship. Because now he was responsible. And so the self-knowledge kind of destroyed him. Because he was fine when he didn't know. But it's like you know too much about yourself, and now you know, you're, you're really can be handcuffed by it. You know, and I actually I thought about that a lot. That, Anything else? I also want to say Marina also has some great books next door, too. <laughs> so Zach Smith and Mary Naomi that are both here I have awesome books. That was not so, my
1: you know, question. <laughs> 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 the um the this the essay
0: collection, what does it span over the, how, how much time does it Fifteen span? years. Right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's it's worthwhile how it came together actually, but I feel like it, it moves, you know, the certain from the interior to the exterior, you know, exterior world, you know, it starts with personal essays. You know, in the end of the first section I think it's this you know, when I, when I was doing this oral history, so I was interviewing people I'd grown up with. I was like and the common point was all like, Well, how did you meet? You know? And my father saw that and he wanted me to interview him, you know, and it's just the craziest thing. It's like it's the kind of thing where I'm like, you sound like a mad person, you know, to me. but he read it, he thought it was the greatest. (laughs) No, that's exactly how I feel.
2: And
0: I've I've never been able to publish it, so I was like, he was so nuts, and I was like, okay, not until, you know, he has to die. Then he died, and so I could finally publish it, you know, but, uh, yeah, it just came together in this really interesting way, you know, where it kind of goes from the interior world to, like, the political world, and then just, like, the exterior world, you know, and, uh, and actually, yeah. Ryan, did you try to create a of yeah? Yeah, I have to like rewrite because a lot of the essays were all, well, actually all the essays were published previously um, but then you find like oh there's like redundancies, right? Like I've already said that over here and then like you want a progression of ideas so there's like a lot of rewriting to like make it a book and not just a kind of random sampling. You know, I don't want to go like read, read the same thing. I want you to be able to read the book straight through, and always, you know, learn another thing. You know. Any more? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're. Um, <laughs> and I think I think a lot of us are going to. Well, first we're going to sign a bunch of books, right? And then, but then we're also going to go to the public house across the street and have beers. And I will, I will buy some appetizers there for everybody. <laughs> yeah. There are
1: about uh,
0: 50, 60 people here. So. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> 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 here we half chicken wing. <laughs> <laughs> but what also we didn't talk about is that they re-released my novel, Happy Baby, oh. which we originally did with Manhattan Cage, which we were both on, um, which you can also get here. And that's kind of exciting, too. It's a very dark novel. But it's my best novel, so that's up there also. That'd be cool. We should have copies of his books available at the register. Um, feel free to buy as much as you'd like. Um, I'll move all this. And by the way, bring out a table for seeing the sign behind. As you can tell, he's a very nice guy. And you can easily approach him. So please do so. Thank
1: you very much for coming. <laughs>